Welcome to Old Town New World. Uh, we're here in Old Town Rock Hill at Millstone Pizza. I'm Jason Broadwater. I'm Chris Gervais. And we're here to talk about the ever-changing world of Small Town USA. Yeah. So here we are, um, Chris, nice shirt. Why, thank you. I appreciate that. I wait, appreciate hold on, wait, hold on. Why, thank you? Because it's polite, the polite thing to do. Jeez, jerk. Silent Micah, how are you feeling today? All right, you don't have to unload on me here. I'm just asking, gee, is this a polite question? Um, we are here today with our, our actual guest and a bonus guest. Our actual guest is Rodney Stringfellow. Did I say that right? <laughs> However you want to pronounce okay. it. Okay, all right. Rodney Stringfellow. <laughs> and um, Rodney is a screenwriter, mm -hmm. and he is a, he's been involved in some amazing projects. I won't mention any of them, Backyardigans, but um, some amazing stuff that I can't wait to talk about. And um, he's also an educator yep. and uh, for UNC, uh, teaches at UNC Charlotte currently. Yep. And we're going to explore all of that in your backstory, but we also have with us Andrew Lee. Welcome, yep. Andrew. Thanks for letting me sit in. Yes, Andrew, um, he drops out of skies and he asks people um, if he can interview them um, if they are in some way related to tennis. Yes. At least, excuse me, at least that's what I have learned so far. Um, no. You don't go up to strangers and say, are you in some way related to tennis? Yes. It's really close to that. It's pretty, it's, close. It's pretty close to that. I interviewed the women playing bridge today at some club in Charlotte. Ah, and they were related to, who is tennis, by the way, and why are all these people related to them? Just kidding. <laughs> but, um, we're talking about the sport tennis, um, and he's making a documentary, so we're going to hear a little bit about that as well. So, let's... No, no, it's not Rodney's show. Rodney's here for the ride. And let's ask, <laughs> let's start with Rodney. So, Rodney, yes. first of all, um, where are you from? Uh, originally, I'm from Fort Wayne, Indiana. Um, Born and raised, I've lived most of my life in Brooklyn, New York. Um, was there for about 27 years and then moved down to uh, Monroe, North Carolina about eight years ago. Okay, but before we tackle the from Brooklyn to Monroe, which is mm -hmm. obviously a fascinating question, let's, let's tackle the from Indiana it's to New York. It's an obvious question. Yes. I mean, you, everyone's trying to get there. Yeah, right. We beat the rush. So let's, let's say, why, why go to New York? Is it to chase the writer's dream? Is that why? Um, it was to chase the dream of, I didn't know exactly how I would get there, but it involved a penthouse, it involved a Porsche, <laughs> and uh, I thought my ticket was going to be through graphic design. Uh, so I went to New York because I was um, getting my master's at Pratt Institute. And um, <laughs> I worked at a rat hole of an ad agency for a minute. And then um, an opportunity came up to be a development assistant at a film company. And so I said goodbye to the world of graphic design and moved into film. Okay, great. And you, you, have you always been a writer? I mean, has that always been something that you... Yes, but it, I didn't originally assume that... I, it really wasn't until I was in my 30s that I thought, this could be a career. It never occurred to me. I thought I was going to be a graphic designer. Very interesting. So when you started working with the video production, film production place in New York. I mean, what, yep. what did that entail in New York? Um, basically, <laughs> typing and answering the phone. Um, 
I remember this dark season of my life when it occurred to me. A dark and stormy night. <laughs> a dark and stormy year, actually, where I realized that I had my bachelor's and my master's, and the only skill that kept me employed was my ability to type. That's funny. Wow. Yes, yes, yes. And so I was typing, I was getting coffee, um, on occasion being yelled at. Um, but uh, so <laughs> that's, that's basically what I did. Nobody ever threw the coffee back at you in rage, did they? No, no one threw the coffee back at me. At, no, 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 no. Um, the actress Robin Givens was quite sweet when uh, she asked me for coffee. And actually, um, my bosses told her that I had a crush on her, which I did. And so she was, she turned it on. It was oh, really wow. wonderful. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. I mean, nothing happened, mind you. I was no one. Even you if I wasn't, someone. well, I got her coffee. Well, there you go. I, I also had a crush I on her. Yeah, oh, how could you not? Yeah. And, and class. Uh, to be clear, that also with me, nothing ever happened. Right. So. <laughs> well, I, I would also like to, for the record, say that nothing happened between me and Robin yes, Gibbons yes, either. Yes, yes, yes. Andrew? <laughs> nothing I can talk about. Okay, well then, right, fair, fair enough. Fine. Fair all enough. Right, yeah. Fair enough. Now, Silent Mike is not going to say anything on that subject. Exactly. I'll tell you that much. We all know, yeah, we all that know about story. that story. That's, that's what broke up her and Iron Mike Tyson. Well, yeah, hey. That's what I heard. Hey. Iron Mike's a tough dude, man. <laughs> I think tough is a is a kind Absolutely. word, right? Absolutely. Iron Mike is no silent Micah. Ooh. Oh. So, uh, so you are getting coffee. Yes. Um, for for other people, and yep. you're typing, and you yep. um, you're very well educated, <laughs> and and you will surely have um, a a difficult rent situation going on, I would imagine. Or is living in Brooklyn expensive? Or um, yes, um, I wasn't living in a uh, especially fashionable part of the borough at the time, so I was I, I was I was keeping my head above water. Okay. They had those there at the time, I guess, those yeah. unfashionable parts. Yeah, yeah. They, they did, they did. They're, I don't think they're there any longer, but at the time, at the time there were pockets of unfashionableness. Yeah. So, let's skip ahead a little bit, and we'll come back to New York, of course, but um, why, why leave the glamour of typing the and glamour. getting coffee? to move to North Carolina, where there's no coffee or okay. typewriters there, at all. There really isn't, which, which amazed me when I came. Okay. Like, wow, none? <laughs> none? But um, actually, I had moved on, I'd progressed, I'd left the glamorous world of being an assistant behind, did I? Not really, I'd always been, to an extent, I'm still an assistant. Right. But um, at that point in time, I was, making my income as a writer okay, and wow. I was teaching this is still in New York this is in New York okay. I was I was um, writing for a number of Nickelodeon shows and I was uh, teaching a uh, screenwriting course at Sarah Lawrence College okay so okay so how did you get in with Nickelodeon um, I got into Nickelodeon because I'm gonna walk through I was working at a production company and they relocated to Los Angeles. Okay. Um, I was. I told everyone I'm going to LA until I realized that they weren't going to help me move. And I thought I can't afford to go to LA, so I decided to stay. I then began to work for another production company, which was Russell Simmons uh, Rush Communications, and he did the Deaf Comedy Jam and some other television and film projects. So I was working for that company. My boss at the time, Carmen Ashurst, um, who I adore. She hired me, and so I worked with her for a number of years. 
Um, there was an ugly stint of unemployment and screaming and yelling. And uh, a friend of mine, uh, Lisa Clark, invited me to a soiree that I didn't want to go to because I was depressed because I was working at a at a part-time job and I was miserable and I didn't want to go. She's like, you're going to go. So I went and I was like, okay, but I'm not going to talk to anyone. And she introduced me to this woman named Maria Perez Brown. And she said, uh, she said, hey, this is Rodney. He needs a job. <laughs> and, and you said, would you like a cup of coffee? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> oh, d d don't, don't, don't get it twisted. That was the skill that I was bringing to the, I was bringing that to the table. And so so she said, oh, well, my assistant is just leaving and I'm looking for someone for three months. I was like, fine. So I decided to work there. She was working for um, Nickelodeon and there was a uh, series called Gullah Gullah Island. And so I was going to help her wrap up the production. After the first week, Nickelodeon said, we want more episodes. So what was supposed to be three months turned into a year. Wow. And when that year ended, she sold her own series to Nickelodeon, so I went with her on that program. Um, and then I was an associate producer. Now what series was that? That was called Taina. It was a live action. Um, back then, uh, Nickelodeon had something called Teen Nick, where they were trying to target, um, you know, you're not tween, you're not quite you know, smoking and having sex, so you're tween. Right, and yeah. so they were- That's how the jingle went. The, it, yeah, right. <laughs> you're not smoking. He's having <laughs> sex. Yeah. You're a tween. So yes, yes, yes. That's exactly how it went. And so- it, it really is. It, it, it tells the whole story. And so we did that show, and um, we got a couple of seasons out of that, and then um, the head writer, Kaz Hyman, he's the one who asked me, did I want to write a, an episode? And of okay, course, yeah, I, okay. and, so, and so that was the first professional script that I wrote. It was for Taina. And it got produced? It got produced. Um, my family came out to see the shooting of it in LA, and uh, I, I thought it was a spectacular episode. <laughs> and. Um, and then from there, I got into the Writers Guild. Let me and you. So your family came out. Who's your family? My family was my mom, my brother, my sister, and my nephew. Excellent. That's wonderful. Yes. So they support you. Oh. What other option do they have? <laughs> well, I, <laughs> I mean, I people mean, come up with creative crap. Well, I, mean, it's, it's, <laughs> I wasn't living with them, so right. it, it would be different if I was living with them. That'd be different. Yeah, it would be. It would be different. They're but I was cheering like, from afar. They're <laughs> cheering from afar. They're cheering from afar. Yeah. So yes. Um, uh, so anyway, and from there, I got more opportunities to write for some other Nickelodeon uh, shows, and. And so I thought it was going to be like that forever, and um, <laughs> and, <laughs> and then um, I got married, and um, my wife said, and we had been married for a year, and it's like, oh, you want to try to get a house? I said, I do, but not here, yeah. and not in New York. And so, so she threw out some places. Uh, she, um, I didn't want to move to Indiana where, where my family is. I love my family, right. but I didn't want to move there. Um, I didn't want to move to Florida where her family is. I love her family. I didn't want to move there. And then she threw out some other places. Then she threw out Charlotte. And I said, yeah. And I'd never been, I'd never stepped foot in North Carolina. Um, I'd met a couple of people from 
North Carolina, and I really like them. Yeah. I'm like, this state is producing quality. <laughs> and uh, and literally, and so I said, we're moving, we said we're moving to North Carolina, sight unseen. Wow, okay, so, so let me pause that before we talk about you getting here and how that experience went. Yep. Was the was the backyard again during the, that Nickelodeon stint? Oh, absolutely. So you 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 just skipped right over that. Somehow. Oh, 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 no, you no. You know no. I'm a big fan oh, here. I'm oh, trying to get oh, to the, please, the backyard. Please. Oh, absolutely, so absolutely. How were you involved in the backyard? Well, um, the Backyardigans was created by a woman named Janice Burgess, who is a wonderful writer, producer. Um, she was an executive at Nickelodeon, and then she pitched them her own series. They picked it up, and um, and actually, I don't know if I'm supposed to say it. Oh well. Um, her initial tagline for Backyard Don't worry, against, nobody listens to right, this right, right, right. Come neither, after us, Nickelodeon. Yeah, neither of our listeners will care. Right, right, okay. <laughs> the original tagline for Backyardigans was, it's like friends, but no sex, no caffeine. <laughs> really? Wow. Yes, really. That was wow. the tagline for it. Oh. And, so um, like friends in real life. Yes, yeah. yes, yes, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, and originally it was supposed to be a live action show with these walk around puppets with big heads. Wow. And wow. they turned it into uh, 3D, uh, you know, CGI uh, um, series. Um, Janice was down the hall from where I was working at, at Nickelodeon and she asked, did I want to pitch a show idea? And um, I pitched Race Around the World, which was my oh, first. Oh, I know that one. Yes. Oh yes, my gosh, yes. I know that and one. They, and they bought it, and so, oh, so I've been I've been fortunate enough to write on every season of the series. I think they have five seasons, maybe four, but I've written for every season. And um, there was a time when one of the writers like had some beef with them and quit. And they were and they're like, would you? We have a big favor to ask. Will you write those episodes? I'm like, Hell yes! Awesome. What? Are you crazy? So, so I, I, I mean, I don't know for, for if either of our listeners are used are familiar <laughs> with um, the Backyardigans, but um, it, it's it's a, a kids show, and obviously, my kids were at the perfect. My older uh, child is 14 now, so he was at the perfect age where we were watching that together. And with all the stuff you have to watch with your kids, like a lot of it is not. Good. Oh, it's horrible. It's yeah. horrible. Yeah. And so to find something that is creative on so many levels, I mean, the, even the dancing that the characters oh. did was insanely good. How did it, I mean, tell us about the, the show. Oh, um, a friend of mine, um, Beth, she does, she's the choreographer for the show. She does magnificent work. Actually, I love the show and I love the production of it. <clears throat> All of the dancing um, was choreographed and they had live actors uh, do the dance and they would videotape it and then the animators would animate over it. Wow, that's um, awesome. Every episode had a musical theme. Yeah. The musical theme could not be connected to the story. So uh, the Western could not use Western music. <clears throat> the episode in Russia could not use Russian music. Right. You had to like... Be more creative than uh, right, that. you had yeah. to superimpose a different musical genre I on top. I love the spy uh, character. Oh, yeah. Um, uh-huh. Well, the okay that I know that episode. Um, oh, what was it called? That wasn't that wasn't mine. But uh, oh, I'm sorry. No, no, that's no. You can still love it. I hated it. I still, hated no, every no, minute no, no, of no, it. No, you can still love it. You can still love it. Um, and so, what I loved about the series, and it's unique, in preschool. Unique. That was a character. Absolutely, oh, it was. Yes. 
<laughs> and actually, Janice Burgessler's show's creator considered herself to be Uniqua. Um, okay. That because she used to wear overalls as a little girl, and so, so the character and the characters were obviously like they were obviously like a, a black little girl or a white little boy or you know yep. whatever it was. Yep. It was a they had diversity and Absolutely. group. And while they were pre they were portrayed as animals, but <clears throat> the voice talent and the names were a hint that there's ethnicities Yes, diversity there. in the group. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Right, so it was really nice that way. I was going to say, you know, even, I never watched it. I, but I... Why are we I, talking to you then? Not exactly, I know. The thing is, it would have been... I know. Sorry, you can no longer be part of here. Part of video sitting here. Um, and I think my <laughs> what is this? I think my opportunity would have been my nephew. I think was probably really into it. And anytime I babysat him, he was probably like backyard against. And I was like, no, we're not watching that. Yeah. Let me I'm show too, you. I'm too cool for that. Yeah. Let me introduce you to a little movie called The Exorcist. Um, no, uh, <laughs> um, but I Watch do. Watch this part, kid. Right. right I, I'm right, not right. kidding. I knew everyone I knew who had kids at the time. I remember. Them talking about backyardigans. Oh, yeah, I'm not kidding. I mean, seriously, oh, yeah. it was awesome. No, it was really well done in that um, we were fortunate. Um, it wasn't my show, but um, we were fortunate in that most preschool, all preschool shows have to have a curriculum. There's no preschool show, at least in the U.S., that is just like we're just here to entertain. No, every every preschool show has to teach something. Okay. The best thing to teach is pro-social yes. behavior because then you don't have to worry about are they learning the language? It's like are they are, are they actually learning how to put you know about math supporting each other right. and being good right. friends right. and like so that, that was our curriculum which is the best of all curriculums. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's what good storytelling ultimately yeah, kind of is. I I agree I yeah. agree I agree. So, um, but yeah no I thought it was a wonderful a wonderful uh, project. Um, also, um, I was delighted to find out that the musical director, I believe that was his title, is a guy named Evan Lurie. Um, Evan Lurie is a jazz musician. He and his brother, John Lurie, had a band called The Lounge Lizards, and I was an enormous fan of them. I'd seen them a billion, not a billion, <laughs> okay, three number. times. That's three times. I saw them in concert three times. <laughs> Go, we All only right. allow accurate numbers. I know. Yeah. I'm, I'm so sorry. I was just telling we a lot. We fact-check this afterwards. I know. It's like, he's lying. They haven't even performed he's, a Now we can't trust anything you said. Exactly. He went the backyard again. I cleaned again. it up. I cleaned it up. <laughs> yeah. But uh, Evan Lurie was the um, musical director, and... He had one of my favorite oh, albums right. of all time. It's called Selling Water by the Side of the River. Oh, and it's like, it's delicate, it's lovely, it's ethereal. And I, I, when I met him, I brought my little tattered CD in for him to sign. He's like, oh my God, you have this? I'm like, I love you. So, oh no, so it was a well, one. Was well, a let one. me tell you something that's somewhat embarrassing about my family and myself, mostly myself, that has to do not really directly with the Backyardigans, but the same at the same time that we were a big Backyardigans fan. If Backyardigans is John Coltrane, then the Wiggles is Katy Perry, and we were, we were. Um, you got it. I I, I understand. I yes. Get it. I get if it. I can make that metaphor any more convoluted, then no, I will no, no, I will no, do no, it by the way. And John Hughes directed the whole thing. Exactly. Right. So anyway, we had a white minivan. Um. And we and our little family put a Wiggles or Bust sign in the window. <laughs> and we went on freaking tour with the Wiggles. 
three shows. We did two in North Carolina and one in DC. We went on tour like like deadheads, like with the Wiggles. I'm looking at you in a different way right now. <laughs> no. I've heard that Wiggles one is even wilder. Oh man, it was crazy. <laughs> We were buying burritos in the parking lot, and it was all about, yeah, um, you, you liberating. You guys are lucky you survived. Yeah, oh, really, it was great. Really, really, really. Obviously, you love your kids, but for you to, <laughs> but for you to go on tour with the Wiggles, like there, you have some Wiggle love yourself. I actually was a fan of the Wiggles oh, okay. because you know here's no, why. No shame in that. Who's here's your favorite why. Wiggle? Is it Taylor? Um. <laughs> <laughs> Zachary, <laughs> here's why I like the Wiggles, and this and this was what brings me back to what y'all were doing with the backyard against. Mm -hmm. The Wiggles, it was like four or five guys, whatever they were. They played their own music. Yeah. They wrote it, they played it, they sang it, and they did you know campy, silly acting that kids could buy into. Absolutely. But they wrote, played, and performed their own music. It was yep. nothing staged or lip syncing about it. It was a show, and yep. there's all these little kids. Like going, yeah, you know, like, Absolutely. like they're at a freaking Absolutely. Van Halen show. Absolutely, you know? Absolutely. And I think that it is, not that children need my approval, but it's great that they're, uh, that we've gotten to the place where there is entertainment, there's media that's made for them. Yeah. It's not, well, actually, there's, a, there's an up, there's an up, right, yeah, there's an up and downside, yeah. but there, we're in an era now where there's media that's made just for babies, just for preschoolers. And I just, like the idea yeah. that there's curriculum requirements. Now, I hate, you know, I, I, I'm not a big one into like um, everything being uh, controlled by some central entity, but I think that if you're gonna create media for children, there should be some type of curriculum requirements because it can protect you from creating media for children that's just about trying to brainwash them into buying products you know, it's, this is so interesting. Um, Andrew sat in on my class today. We were talking about the history of animation. And uh, back in the 70s, there was an organization called ACT, Action for Children's Television. And they were, usually they are looked upon as being the, the bad, the party poopers who got, um, animated shows to get rid of the cartoon violence, but one of the things they did was they legislated that um, programs could not have commercial products in shows for children and that there had to be a firewall between um, the program and the commercial. Um, because back in the old days, uh, quite frequently, the host of a television show would pause, turn to the camera and say, oh kids, you should eat this, and oh kids, you should buy this, and ask your parents to do this for you. And so um, Peggy Sharon, who is the woman who's behind uh, ACT, she got, uh, she got the uh, companies to legislate that there is a firewall. Um, so that's why we have in television, uh, and for children's television, someone will go, and we'll be right back. Because now, so it, it cues kids to know this is a commercial. However, in the 80s, mid 80s I think, there was a wave of deregulation and all of those uh, things, those rules that were established, or not all of them, but most of them have gone away because now you can do those things again. Um, think about it, um, Transformers, My Little Pony, 
all of their their products. Okay. They they are essentially half oh, hour commercial. And they create the product first, and yes. then they design the cartoon oh, around the product. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. And so that back in the. 70s, there was this push from parents like, stop that. Children aren't sophisticated enough to know that you're selling them something. But then in the mid 80s, Washington said, no, let the market decide. And so they removed all the rules. And now we have essentially half hour product placements. Well, you know, um, one thing that the market is really good at is looking after the welfare of children. It is, it is. Yeah, you know, it's funny because as a ch as I was front and center for that Thundercats, He-Man, G.I. Joe, Ninja yeah, Turtles thing. And, and and it's I guess it's Lion O was oh, badass. Yes, Lion. Wasn't he? Cats yeah. with race goal, you and his, me? Yeah, in his woman's bathing suit. Um uh, but um I, and because of that I will probably is the reason that I will to this day argue to you the magic of consumerism. <laughs> Honestly, I will and I can't, it's a part of me. I mean I'm a product of those times and, and uh yeah, but I man, see the evils of it, don't get me wrong. But they were selling you a, a $3 plastic figurine. What if they were selling to you a um, social perspective? Right, like, now I mean, that's true. Know. See, now that's the thing. Uh, Joseph Campbell was still alive in those plastic toys for me. So the, I learned a lot of my morals from, I don't know if I learned it from cartoons. I mean, yeah, honestly, that yeah, stuff yeah. is still in cartoons. But yeah, you're right. Although I will say, uh, the last time someone said what you just said, that that was a $3 piece of plastic was my mom in 1986 and, it tore you and it's a there's a oh, scar in my heart I'm still so sorry. and you just made a new one I'm so sorry <laughs> well. but you know what I think story and characters r find a way to rise above the evil machinations of human beings and um, throughout the history of not only children's television and film but film in general there have been people who are just out to make a buck but good storytelling still speaks, you know, shines through. I think it's because of people like yourself. I think that's the thing, you can't, because these corporations can do whatever they want, and, you, and there, are, there are creative endeavors out there that are fully run by corporations, and they don't last very long, they don't do very much, but I think that there are always people in, and they are getting ground up in the wheels of the, the you know, in the cogs, but I think that there's probably always people there, like yourself, that are, even in a corporate, awful poisonous situation are finding ways to put that real spirit in there you know well I think you know it comes down to the fact that um, people don't people aren't compelled by a story that doesn't tap into some I don't know if we want to call it truth or I, agree. I, yeah, I, agree. I don't know what that word is they aren't compelled but like explain the last five Transformers movies because they're just content so someone's someone people well, do first buy them. of all <laughs> nobody can explain the last five transformers <laughs> exactly now if you're talking about a plot explanation no yeah. way in hell yeah, yeah, we could ever we could ever explain <laughs> that how many transformer movies are there there's like 12 i think there are yeah. not yeah. yeah no yeah there's a billion yeah <laughs> don't quote me on that don't fact check me on that but there's a billion oh my goodness yeah. there's, there's at least 39 <laughs> I think so. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. That's so, right. Sorry. So let me ask you this. Eventually, you and your wife decided, she's from Florida, you're from Indiana, y'all yep. are in New York. Yep. We, we're going to throw a dart at a map, basically, kind of. Yep. Uh, and you, and you, you threw it a couple times and it didn't stick. It fell out and you, mm -hmm. you kicked it out. Mm -hmm. You roundhoused it out one time. <laughs> and you decided, we're moving to North Carolina. Yep. And so, um, how's that going? 
It's going really well. We love it. Um, I, I, I have no desire to return to really? New York. Zero. Oh. Zero. So what is it about this place is nice? And I say this place. We're in South Carolina, but it's the same. It's the Carolinas. No, it, it is. Feels the it same. Is. It, yes, it is. Yeah. Same trees. Yes. Yeah, yes. Yes. Um, Especially that one. Right. Whoo! That's a beautiful tree. That that's a tree. That's a. Tree. You guys, you folks, uh, listening, you can't see this tree, but boy. But boy. But but we're gonna talk about it for the next 15 minutes. <laughs> really, really. They don't have trees like that back in Brooklyn. Uh, a tree grows in Brooklyn, but not that one. Not, not that one. Not that one. <laughs> I think that's going to be my only literary reference. Yeah, 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 yeah. So you are teaching. We're talking it. about weed, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, spreading love the Brooklyn way. Yes. 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 So you're teaching at UNC Charlotte. Yes. And um, is teaching as moving as creating part of the formula? Or? Did you want to get a I'm sorry. Say it again. Do you enjoy teaching as much as you oh, enjoy writing? Oh, absolutely. Um, I love I love teaching because I I love my students. Um, that every every semester that I have students, um, I am honored to be entrusted with their hopes and their dreams. And every um, every semester, I tell them that. Part you of my you should use this product. Oh, you should yeah, brush exactly. your teeth with Colgate exactly. or whatever. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Because I'm all about making money off of them. I'm all. <laughs> my Instagram endorsements are through the roof, exactly. baby. Exactly. You know, yeah. dollar dollar bill, y'all. So. It's a local accident lawyers and stuff. Reference. <laughs> Holy crap. Yeah, so. you're, excuse me. You've hit your reference maximum. I really have. Yeah. That's it. That, no more. But, no but please, more. teaching is fulfilling. It's very fulfilling. Um, I love. To, and I tell my students, because at uh, UNC Charlotte, film is a minor, it's not a major. And so I tell them that um, they didn't come here for film. Um, I don't know what brought them into my class. They may have heard that I'm an easy A. But um, I say that I'm here to seduce them. I want... You gotta be careful with that. <laughs> But continue. Okay, well, I'm just saying. Okay, well, no, no, no. Then you just stare at him for a long time. And then you yes, say, dismissed. Yes, right? And lower and the like, line. Holy crap. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Like, the syllabus was just a photo of our professor. Oh, right. <laughs> it seems like he could button up one yeah, more right. button. Jeez, yeah, wow. wow. Yeah. Is he glistening? So, yeah. Yeah, well, it's a different type of seduction, but basically... You're like, guys, I have two ears, I'm here to glisten. Right, exactly. Uh, yeah. exactly. I'm mean, sorry, exactly. did I say that wrong? No, 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 I'm, it works, it works. But um, I basically say that I want them to consider film as a profession because I was fortunate enough to have somebody who pulled on my coat sleeve and said, Rodney, did you consider this? And... I said, you may know that you want to be a dentist, you may know that you want to be a physicist, and that's awesome, that's great. But some folks here are searching, and some folks feel like you, it may never have occurred to you that this is something that you could do. And I'm here to tell you, you can. And so that is, that's my purpose. Well, so, um, I mean, film has big economic uh, development impact. I mean, I see that all the time in the economic development world. Like, when a place comes in to make a movie or something, it's like 
hundreds of people Absolutely. get hired and get put to work and all kinds of stuff going on. Absolutely. Well, and on a, on a number of different levels, um, I try to get them interested in film. Yes, absolutely. And I lead with, this, this isn't the same as, and I love poets, some of my best friends are poets, but this isn't the same as saying, be a poet. Because if you say, I'm a poet, most people have no expectations that I'm gonna make a living that way. Um, but you can be, go into film. It's like saying, I juggle. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Unless you're juggling for Cirque du Soleil. Right, exactly. But, and if, but if you're juggling for Cirque du Soleil, you're probably juggling like 50 feet off the ground and, exactly. and, and, and endangering your life. So, um, but if you are saying, I want to go do film, there's no reason that you can't make a living at it. There are millions of people who make a good living doing film. I mean, just stick around and watch the credits after a movie. Good God. Exactly, exactly, yeah, right. exactly. And and I want my students to know that can be you. Yeah. There's nothing stopping you. There's no obstacle that's preventing you from pursuing that. But then, too, um, because my uh, focus is on storytelling is that I want students to understand that they have a voice and they have a story and that if they don't tell their story, their stories don't get told. Okay, so that's fascinating to me because there is, what I love about the, um, the what's the word, maybe the, the professional arts, maybe it could be called, I don't know, is that, is that it mixes the kind of, I, I, I don't know, I'm struggling for words, but here's what I'm trying to say. Most of the time, when you go, if you're going to get a, a business job, you're going to crunch some numbers, whatever. It's like, okay, well, you do that at work, and then you go home and you yeah. have a good life and you experience things, yeah. whatever. But, but the creative arts are a lot of time about, okay, well, we're all going to get paid to create this thing, because there is a economic principle at play here. There's yeah. a buying consumer or whatever it is. Somebody's going to watch the movie yeah. or you know whatever. But we are going to search for the human struggle, or we are going yeah. to. Um, you know, uh, understand ourselves better consciously, intentionally. There's this level of um, self-awareness or attempt for self-awareness that may not exist in kind of the um, the the kind of just professional execute a task and get paid for it kind right. of sector. Right. Yet there's this weird like that non-exploratory sector is legitimized culturally like yeah. oh well you got a real job yeah you got yeah. a real job and you will never explore who you are right, right. you know it's congratulations versus it's kind of like oh well you're a little bit dreamy because you are exploring the human experience while you're crafting a way to make money right you know i, I wonder is it i i am a poet and a uh, musician and that is like saying that I juggle because neither of those things in any way provide any um, economic value to me. But man, they make me be a happier uh, Absolutely. person. Absolutely. It, you have a creative life. We are, I think, everyone is a creative creature. And one of the things, um, Mike and Chris, I was telling Andrew about you um, yesterday and that you've been wonderful examples to me in terms of people who have found to have a creative life and that everything because I'm used to uh, have a tradition where people are creating art and they're always worried about how to monetize it and how okay, I'm doing this 
but but I need to get paid versus I'm a creative animal and I'm a storyteller. I got to tell my stories and I'm not concerned about that part of it. Well, I'll tell you, and, and Chris, I'd ask you to speak to this, um, but I, I found a lot of, and this isn't everybody's path, but I actually found, I tried to make music a paying thing and it broke my heart. And um, because I didn't make much money, I didn't make enough money to even live and I was changing what I was creating to try to make money and failing at it spectacularly. Versus where I am now is that I don't make music for money at all. Not that I'm like, you know, independently wealthy or anything. I just, you know, excuse me, my monocle's in my way. If I, let me put this down here. It's a beautiful monocle, by the way. Yeah. Um, but, I, but I work in my job and I, and I make money there. And then I make music completely independently of any responsibility to anybody to try to deliver back to myself any return based on yeah, their exactly. assessment of my value in any way whatsoever. Exactly. It makes me exactly. happier person. Exactly, exactly. Um, there was an, a few years ago, um, I uh, bought a canvas and I was painting at home and my wife said, Okay, now you're now you're okay. Like there was, the, <laughs> it, it, we were on the edge about you for a while, yeah. but like now that I see that you're creating, just for just to create, just to create, and I I 100% agree with you that that is to me that's the ideal. It would be lovely if my work made money, but that's not why I that's not why I'm a storyteller. I'm a storyteller because. It's like, that's how I express myself. That's what I want to do. Yeah. And so, absolutely, I agree. So, Chris, as a, as a, you and Silent Micah, as, as people who work, you work for Rev and Flow, and, and though you're using your skill set, you're designing things, you're uh, making movies, you're making videos and all that, and you're being extremely creative. So, I know there's reward, and I'm putting words in your mouth, and I know there's oh. reward at work for that, but your own kind of story that you create out of the blue, do you feel less pressure to have to, like, make it like to save you from some despair to make it work or something like that um no i mean yeah it's definitely it's we're super lucky that we have a profession that allows us to even on a small level sometimes i mean if i'm designing some piece of a website or a logo or something uh there's nothing we do that isn't in some way tapping into what makes me who i am which is to think about what's uh, the public the rest of the world all those people out there and what they think and what they'll feel when they see this thing yeah. and um and I'm just been extremely lucky to have that and to, to pay the bills everything we do in some way like I mean my previous job I worked at Office Depot for seven years or something and I can't say that about Office Depot you know can you find me a flash drive <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> stick thumb <laughs> but, uh, but so like what about your other work though like your totally creative work do you feel like less pressure that this ha this one has to happen man to save me from oh. my miserable reality <laughs> well no 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 but you do this not save me from my miserable reality but there's the there's the sort of the dream there's the great big dream right, right. of of whatever this probably idiotic idea of maximum success where you know you're Spielberg um and no matter what you say to yourself, whatever you're, and this is, I think if you're a musician, if you're a writer, a poet, whatever you do, 
um, no matter how much you convolute yourself about it, you probably tell yourself whatever you're working on right now is the one. Oh, yeah. This is the one, you know? And I think that's a fundamental piece of it. If you, but if if you aren't pressure. saying that, then you're working on the wrong thing. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, but there's not the negative pressure to like, oh, geez, come on, you know, daddy needs a new pair of shoes. It's not like that, you know? Then you're drunk Faulkner writing a <laughs> yeah. horror story yeah. in a robe, like in a typewriter. Speaking of drunk Faulkner in a robe writing a typewriter story, nice segue, right? Andrew, why tennis? <laughs> so, okay, so um, I play tennis most of my life. Uh, I coach and I also teach, so we kind of, we've been catching up on this trip, talking shop about teaching. You are literally traveling the country interviewing people about their experience with tennis. Yes, uh, it's kind of turned into more than that. Originally it was, I'll give you a five minute lesson. I'd roll up to a court with a hopper of tennis balls and I'd walk up to you and I said, um, this is what I do. I'll give you a five minute tennis lesson if you give me a five minute story. And the problem was the first guy I talked to, it turned to an hour and a half lesson for him and his kid and his wife. And um, I started actually, uh, I consulted with Rodney because Rodney's been like a mentor in this area for quite a long time. I've never been as, um, as good as he is in this area, but I did do some script writing and studying and that type of thing. But he ended up talking to me about the idea. I started in Charlotte and I started driving all the way up to Vermont, but the first courts were in Charlotte. And I think he looked at me kind of very strangely when I said the idea, but he's got such creative insight that he said, I think it can work. And then like for about a day, I ran around Charlotte talking to people and that first guy was like an hour and a half. I said, I think I need to change my um, strategy a little bit. So now I generally walk up to somebody on a court and say, this is what I do. Because since that time, a couple summers ago, I've interviewed a lot of people and like almost a hundred colleges and um, actually there's a Winthrop College, I realized that's here, is that right? Winthrop? And I realized I have some friends on Facebook that I'm gonna to try to get in touch with that I probably should have interviewed them like you're interviewing here. And by the way, I gotta say, I really, I really dig this conversation. And I know we're searching for words that were appropriate, but I couldn't think of any other word, but this is the kind of conversation I love. I'm just like watching you guys talk about stuff that matters. So, well, thank you. And so I'm thinking that you're experiencing that with some of your interviews and um, maybe what you'll come out with is something that um, is about the human experience, maybe more than it is about tennis. Is that a fair statement? I'd say you're like spot on because he and I have been going back and forth about this. I've been posting a lot of them on Facebook and YouTube and I'm just kind of making edits and clips of like one, two, three minute stories. And um, on my third try, I put them all together and edited a lot and for about six minutes short, showed it at some theater in Tucson. And it's like a little competition on Friday nights once a month. And they've seen it, the MCs have seen it. And that's, a, that's the word that they use um, when they saw mine because it said, oh, this is an example of someone who's edited their film this try and says, this is a good example of, a hum of the humanistic side of storytelling. So you exactly got it. That's great, man. I wish you the best of luck, Andrew. I really do. Mm -hmm. Sounds we, we would love to hear how it goes and have you back on when you when you have something to for us to, to a, a URL that we can send people to, right? Here, here. Yeah, right. So when you have a Geo Cities when you it's called Tennis Crossroad. 
Crossroad? Tennis Crossroad. Tennis Crossroad. I like it. I like it. It's like bluesy. Is it? Is, oh, that's Eric Clapton's new album. Tennis Crossroad? <laughs> This is a Ralph Macchio movie. <laughs> yeah. The sequel to the Ralph Macchio Crossroads movie. Yeah. It's powerful, but everything he does is powerful. So, um, Rodney, I, I taught ninth grade English for four years, and I've done, done a lot of you know other things and whatnot. And um, I, I've never bought into this statement, but um, people say it, and. Um, and it, it usually is it's said in a zinger of a moment. People say, those who can't do, teach. What do you think about that? <laughs> it's so true! <laughs> <laughs> they are... Um, <laughs> even if I believed it, I, I, I have to argue against it. It is... There are two different skill Amen. sets. They're two different skill sets. Um, each of them is a legitimate calling. Each of them is uh, you have a passion for. One does not negate the other. Um, you can love to invent and you can love to teach people how to invent. I'm telling you the worst teachers are the people that buy into that philosophy and are surrenderers. Yeah. They're yes. raising their white flag yes. and they're teaching only because they are a uh, they are frustrated, or frustrated and, and a failure by their own definition. Yeah. The best teachers are passionate about connecting with human beings. Absolutely. Yes, and and, and I here here. I think um, Andrew and I were ha was having a conversation yesterday about teaching, and I think that that's a wonderful summation of what you were saying. Really, it's about connecting with human beings. It's not about imparting. It's not simply about imparting knowledge. No, it's That's not. part of it, That's but like it's really five percent of exactly. It. Yeah, right. It's about connecting with these human beings um, and finding ways to see their humanity, let them see your humanity, and making this real connection so that you can change them and they can change you. Oh my goodness! Yeah, it's no. That's. And that, that's a lovely thing for people who don't teach to say, to make it feel like that they have, they're doing something of greater value. But honestly, it, teaching is a wonderful, magnificent thing. I do remember my European history teacher saying, like, I tried to do European history, but the only one who showed up was my Aunt Connie, so I just teach it you now. I tried to do European history. Yeah, I, my mom, my dad, was, they bought it. I did American history for the first most of my life. <laughs> I just, everyone made fun of it when I did European history, everyone made fun of it, so now I just teach it. <laughs> you know, That's good. Man, I had a, um, a guy uh, communicate with me on Twitter publicly, like, added me or whatever, that was, um, I, when I taught my four years, ninth grade English, in Marion, North Carolina, poor place, um, this kid, he said something like, and, and he was he was exaggerating, but he said something like, "I owe my whole you know love for writing and writing success to Mr. Broadwater, you know my wow. ninth." And he was exaggerating, of course, but but I mean, and he's, I love that he's a horror writer because you don't have I'm much not, of. I'm a, not, yeah. but he is. Like yeah, I have yeah, no, yeah. I'm the non-horrorist yeah. guy. <laughs> if a commercial's scary, I'm turning that shit off. 
You know what I mean? Like, I don't so like. I love, I love the person you inspired. Is like a horror. Writer. He's like a. He's like a total Chris. Yeah, I was. There. I saw his stuff. I was like, oh yeah, I'm checking this out. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. <laughs> yeah but 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 to even say that and like you know over four years I had like 400 students that were 14 years old and apparently just I think it was just my um, probably my just authenticity and passion you know just my sincerity and passion yeah that would that just that just spoke to this kid man in ways that I would have never known never known that's fantastic so I'm sure there are people that that you know you know the ones that you have you, you form a relationship with yes. and you're like wow I really made a difference and they're like thank you and but there's those others that you're like, well, they're, you know, 80% of them are walking out the door I never hear from them again. But there's some of those people, you changed yeah. their lives. Well, and actually, um, whenever I discover one of my students pursues film, either by going to graduate school or they pursue it professionally, um, I consider them my children. And I truly do, because I, and, and, I know some of them have take issue with it, but because I've, I've said it to their face, like you're my child, because you did you lawsuit's pending. Right, it, it is, it is, and the, the <laughs> DNA testing still has to be done. But but they are my as long as the tax man sees it. <laughs> and so what I said is that if, you, if I count them as my children because they've pursued it, and I'm not saying I'm the only voice that have pushed them in that direction. But I sure enough was one of them. Yeah. And it's like, I don't care. I don't care if someone else hired you or whatever. You are my child. Yeah, right. And so I'm thrilled. So you're as passionate about teaching as you are about writing? Oh, absolutely. That's absolutely. Right. Absolutely. So what's what's your um what's the exciting news front on the writing side? Um oh, well, the movie y'all did. Talk about the movie y'all did. Oh my goodness. <laughs> yes. Um I am through. That was like this God thing. Um, Manhood um, is a short film that I uh, worked on with Micah and Chris and Anil. And Wait, are you talking about Silent Micah? Silent Micah. Okay, just Silent. make it. Just clarifying. Yes. Because there's like there's four other Micahs here at the table. There's that, a billion that, Micahs. That 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 is true. That's true. Yes. <laughs> Loudmouth Micah just won't <laughs> shut up. But. Um, they honored me by saying they wanted to shoot my script. And so uh, gave me the opportunity to direct and Micah shot it. And um, they, Chris and Anil were all in. And Chris is doing the audio, audio I believe. Doing the audio, um, he's also doing the musical score for it. Um, and uh, everyone has just come together to work on the piece. Um, it's about a little girl who's afraid that uh, her father's going to punch her in the nose because she's turning 10 and he has a tradition when his sons turn 10, he takes them in the basement and he punches them in the nose to turn them into men. Damn. And so she, oh, he's hardcore. And so um, she's afraid he's going to do it to her. And when he tells her like, no, 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 I'm not going to, I only do that for the boys. She decides, well, I want you to do it to me too. And so... Um, and um, the the actors were phenomenal. Um, oh, uh, Freeman was in it. Yes, right. Alfonso Freeman. Alfonso, yeah. Oh my goodness! Um, the little girl who played my lead actress, Kennedy Johnson, was like she was fire. 
That girl is fire. Oh, my, she's going to so blow up. She's going to blow up, and I will forever remember when you were in my film. Oh my God, it's him again. Oh no, I'm the one who discovered you. Apparently, he's turned into a wicked witch, an 80-year-old wicked witch with a cane. I've always been a wicked witch. Yeah, right. But anyway, anywho. Yeah. So, so there, there's that. I'm ecstatic. I'm. Right now, it is in the capable hands of our editor, and so she's working on it, and we will move forward from there. Well, that's great. I, so, want to, I want to vouch for what you just said. There were definitely moments, I've never experienced that before. We, like, Alfonso was incredibly talented, and that little girl, what was her name? Uh, uh, Kennedy Johnson. Kennedy Johnson. She was so talented that the scenes between them, there were moments where I'm just like, I've never, as long as I've been doing it, like, I've never experienced these like two talented performers like together to that level and it was like this is the actual magic you think goes on in movies and I'm like oh I get it now <laughs> you know <laughs> they were like Chris hold up the boom mic dude <laughs> right, right, right. okay come back Chris come yeah, bring come it on, back man. bring it back the mic was stuck in the box fan <laughs> uh, and no she she was magnificent and she was wonderful to work with when uh, we got to the point where she was going to have to be on the concrete floor, I was like, oh, this might be a problem because, you know, I, I don't know. I, little girl was down on the floor. I was like, you go. She was awesome. So, was so awesome. now, no spoilers, of course, so don't let me ask you for a spoiler. But um, did you did you show, like, a special effect of somebody getting hit in the nose? Did the Russo brothers come in and have a fight scene? Exactly, exactly. Diagram? Or how'd y'all do that? Uh, no, we, we are the Russo brothers. No, I had not done that before. Um, so, we, we, we did it. No, no child was hit. No child was actually hit. Uh, there was face-to-hand contact, but it was not... I'll just leave it at that. Yeah, right, right. I'll leave it at that. And we've said too much. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. It was great trickery. It was great trickery. There was trickery. There was trickery involved. And um, so yeah, so that is magnificent. I'm excited about that. Um, I am working on um, a new preschool show for Nick Jr. called Captain Calavera. And um, it is, a, I'm working on a preschool. Oh, what? <laughs> yes, yeah. And so Nick, it's Nick Jr. I, I'm the whole sentence. I mean, really, every exactly. part, every word. I don't think it. Godfather too. I don't. <laughs> and so um, that series, I don't think it's going to come out until like 2020. But okay. they're still at the beginning stages. But I'm working on one of the the scripts for that. So and so is that with your connections back in New York? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So you have strong relationships up in New York. Yes. Well, I have one. <laughs> and she's and, really strong. Right, right, I mean, right. Yeah, she can bench right. like 800 pounds. Thank you, pounds. Leslie Valdez. You are awesome. <laughs> Thank you, Leslie yes, Valdez. Yes, yes, yes. yes. But yes, so that, so I'm working on that one. Well, good. Yes, 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 yes. And so Andrew's on his tennis tour. You're working on several creative uh, writing projects. You're uh, passionate about your teaching. Absolutely. Uh, it sounds like things are pretty good. Things, things are, yes, things are very good. Things are very busy, but... Absolutely good. I'm very happy with the way things are working out. Well, let me ask you this. Let's say that um, we, we our 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 guest um, from the last podcast um, talked about story. Yes. Now she talked about it. Um, she wasn't writing story um, to be in in used in any type of creative art that would be experienced as a media experience. Right. 
she's talking about story in terms of um, she's actively engaging parts of the population to tell their stories. Oh, that's excellent. Yeah, for like community development and economic development and all that stuff. So my, my question is, I mean, to me, it's kind of, and I'm sure to Chris, you know, even probably more so to me, it's all kind of blended together as story is this incredibly powerful engine. Yeah. But but my more specific question is, do you feel like your storytelling and your, and, and, and Andrew, I want to hear from you on this too, um, should be part of a um, kind of a, a social endeavor to lift people up or is there a bleed into kind of like things that might look like stuff that gets into programs and institutional things or is that or are you more in the just the creative sphere of inspiring thinking and then other people can kind of take it from there or how do you feel well i don't think that there is a single route that storytelling has to take i think all of those are legitimate i think that um, the storytelling that I do through my own writing and like film, like manhood, that is more about self-expression. But the storytelling that I do working in children's television, it serves a different purpose, but it's, I'm still pouring myself into it. It's legitimate. The storytelling of your previous guest who's collecting stories and chronicling this experience for some social purpose, that's legitimate as well. I think they're all story, but I think all of those different avenues are legitimate. And my story doesn't have to fit into every slot. Right, right, right. Yeah, exactly. Um, so you don't, I mean, in other words, you don't need to justify storytelling. Absolutely, no, not, not, you do not. Storytelling is it comes with being human. Even people who consider, who say, I'm not a storyteller, I'm not a writer. They're a freaking liar. Right, they're liars, <laughs> and, it, and it pisses me off, man. It pisses me off. But now, um, it's like, no, it comes, it's, it's a part of the human package. We are storytellers. We, no one has to really teach us story is like, it's a beginning, a middle, and an end, and that it's really about being human. That's who we are. And all of us are storytellers. We're not just consumers of it, we create it as well. So Andrew, same question to you and to paraphrase. Obviously you are collecting stories and you're gonna present them as a single story. And that in and of itself will have a creative value that someone will see and um, it'll make it'll it'll move them in some way. And that has a um, larger than creative value, a, a personal human value. But do you see yourself uh, kind of almost more intentionally using story to create social change, or is that not your arena? That's pretty deep. <laughs> okay, we got a camera too. <laughs> um, well, you know, Rod and I have been talking about this a lot. What is the story? And since you teach taught ninth grade English, I also teach that. So. Right. Brothers from another mother, man. <laughs> so, uh, I well, you know, it is nobody likes grammar. I love grammar. But I do love grammar. Oh yeah. <laughs> Again. And, Silent Micah, there's two high fives that have taken place during the past two minutes. That's okay. <laughs> but you know, I'll, I'll I got two things that came to mind. One, watching you ask Rodney that question and also from talking to Rodney about what is a story. And I think, um, or a couple things. One is everybody has a story. And I just 
kind of pinch myself every time I go up to people and ask them, and um, one third of them don't want to even talk. I mean, they'll talk, but they don't know what to say. One third will start to get something, and then one third will have a lot to talk about. But I think everybody's got a story, right? That's one. Second, I think all these are starting to connect in like a patchwork of what I almost kind of see as the whole country. But I'm not looking for like social change, but he and I, like I've been talking and telling the stories, I just can't believe that people tell me, like one girl the other day told me, I stopped her when I pulled up on the street and it looks almost a little scary when you roll down your window and yell, excuse me, and you, you know, and the girl told me a whole story about it. she's a cancer survivor and she went on. So it's just all these, but I think the last thing as an English teacher you probably can relate and from teaching you learn more. And from actually going to Rodney's class, I learned even more because it just gave me a lot of food for thought is like the term voice. Like everybody has some way they look at the world, a voice. And if you can somehow tap into their voice, you got a great story. So, so let me ask this about story. Um, so it seems like the magic of story comes from, and I, I know we, we got a time situation here, right? We got to leave it up. What time are you like? Eight minutes. Oh, we got a luxurious eight minutes. Oh, that's, mm, we should just shampoo and condition our hair. <laughs> and rinse and repeat. My friend. <laughs> um, but, um, so it seems like where you really hit it with story, where it really achieves its thing, is when it's a, it's a unique individual story that somehow taps into some type of kind of, if, I mean, universal is probably a bad word, but some something common that people can relate to. Otherwise, it's so unique that um, maybe people aren't moved. I mean, they got to tap into something. And Chris has this uh, qu quoted philosophy that he stole from somewhere else. Well, I think it originated with Mr. Rogers. The, yeah. There's no one you couldn't learn to love if you would just hear their story. And so the idea is that the reason why that's true is not because you are a unique collector of completely unique items. It's um, that their story is your story somehow. Absolutely. 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 I, I, I agree with that. I think that... I don't know that there is... And, and I'm sure... If, we thought about it for a minute we can come up with like that's a unique story that I have no connection to yeah. but I really think that I don't know that I've ever heard a story that I've not seen a human connection to that on some level it may be about robots or ants or trees or some on some level it's it has it's addressing me as a human being well, does that mean though that um that that story itself is is something like to even tell a story about a class is what a human would do i mean maybe yes. maybe dogs aren't telling stories about glasses i mean i don't know i haven't i don't i don't speak bark but but they might not be telling stories about glasses we might be the only people telling stories about anything well no most of their stories are, are about bowel movements <laughs> i mean that's they're, they're well i mean but my grandfather the same way actually <laughs> actually he passed a long time ago but doom say I got, I got gold here. I got gold here. No, he, he actually is no longer living. Uh, <laughs> but anywho, listen, I know <laughs> I know we've got to get out of here. Right? Um, 
So let me say this. First of all, let me say thank you. Oh, this was awesome. I thank you for inviting me. This was wonderful. This was wonderful. Andrew, thank you. Thanks for letting me sit in. Absolutely. You guys are fascinating. Um, I, I love, to me, it's, it's really wonderful to hear people who are out there dedicated to um, the creative arts in the sense of, of uh, affecting people positively, uh, connecting with people, telling story, uh, creating something unique, making the world a better place, in my opinion. And I think you guys are doing that. And uh, we're honored to, to sit at a table and uh, break beers and, um, and talk to you. So thank you, Rodney. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you, Jason. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, Micah. Thank you, Andrew. Thank you. Thank you, Andrew. And um, I would Doctor. like... Doctor. 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 And if, if we can, I would like for us to um, heed the wise words of Silent Micah before we leave. Thank you, Micah, for that. And um, Chris, um, again, I think your shirt choice for tonight was fantastic. Thank you. I think it's probably the same shirt from last time. And um, yeah, we'll just, we'll, we'll, can, can, we, can we edit that? All right, I don't know. Can we take Chris out of this podcast can completely? Can any of this be edited? <laughs> can any of this? Are we, wait, is this on? Is this microphone on? Oh shit, we gotta start over. Yeah. All right, we'll see you next week on Old Town New World. Thank you.